Welcome to Stories of Hope. This is a podcast by the Dream Center where you will hear from people who have stories that once seemed hopeless. People whose stories of redemption and life transformation are so powerful they can only be possible by the power of Jesus. Hey everyone, my name is Tatum and I'm here with Joey. Hey everybody. We are so excited. So today we have a special edition. We will be talking with Joey, my co-host, about his story of hope. Um, so Joey, let's just jump right into it. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about what your story is all about? Well, Tatum, thank you. And I do appreciate the opportunity to be here and be able to share uh, my story of hope. And it begins uh, actually with John chapter 8. If you read that story about the woman caught in adultery, in verse 7, it says, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. You see, at one point in my life, um, I believed I was better than others. I was not as sinful as some people, in quotation marks. Um, and I realized that I was and am at times uh, the stone thrower. There's a, a lady by the name of Anne Lamont who, who had a quote, Tatum, that said, You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. In this whole process of my life, Jesus is teaching me that he is king and Lord, and as much as, as he loves me, he's not serving my kingdom or bowing down to my religious ways or my sinful desires. In that process, you see, I wanted uh, to stone others, and it, sometimes I still catch myself picking up the stone to throw. So can you tell us a little bit more specifically what that looked like in your life? Absolutely. You know, um, if we were to take a field trip to the local funeral home and we walked in and we went to this room and saw that person that was in that room lying in the casket. And we walked over to the other side and we saw a person lying in that casket. I couldn't look at her, look at her or him and say, wow, they're more dead uh, than the other person over in the other room. Uh, they're both passed away. They're both dead. And I had to see myself in my, on my life that I was that person that was dead in my sins. And it was only um, through the hope of Christ uh, that he gave me the good news and showed me that in my sinful nature, uh, he still cares about me. Because we know that, you know, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, and man, I realized in Romans 7, verse 24, it says, Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. And my hope was found in Christ. When I was 14, that's when I met Jesus as my Savior, uh, but that didn't make me perfect. Were you raised in a Christian home? Was that was Christ a known person in your household? Absolutely, he was, and, and I was taught that. But I will say this about my family. They're very loving, they're very caring, and I love my mom and my dad and my sister and her husband very much. Uh, and in this process, though, we found out that we were very, very legalistic. And we had to be rescued from ourselves in that process. And I realized in there that I put a lot of stock in people instead of in the Savior. And so I let them control directions in my life and uh, realized how wrong that was. For those that may not know what the idea of legalism is, can you give us an example of what that looked like in your life personally? 
Oh, yes. I'll be glad to share that with you. You know, when some people would say watching TV is wrong, don't have one in your house, or, you know, women should only wear skirts, no pants, no shorts, men don't wear shorts, don't, you know, don't let your hair touch your your ears and make sure your hair's cut in a certain way. Uh, and it's saying that you have to do those things for Christ to love you. To be righteous. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that your, their, your actions and your motivations and the things that you refrain from make you more holy and set apart and sacred rather than the personal relationship that you have with Christ that he has redeemed you and saved you through his blood on the cross. Yes. And in that process, I let people become uh, the ones who told me how I was supposed to love Christ instead of having that personal building that personal relationship in my life. And, and all of that in my life came crashing as a teenager when in that small country church that I was raised in that was very legalistic, people uh, voted my grandparents out. And I watched people that I had that had taught me Sunday school, that people that had been friends to our family, stand up and vote them out. And at that process in my life, I was trying to figure out what is this? So all this that I have been basing my trust in and basing who I am on came crashing down. And in that moment, you know, my mom at that morning had had a light heart attack in that in that whole process. And we left and I had 14 family members in that church and everything that I had known for all of my life was gone in a second. Everything that I had been putting my trust and hope in and as far as people were concerned, was finished. Uh, I realized in that point in time that that was a process that God had to begin to work in my life and begin to change things. And so he sent me to a Christian school as far as high school. He sent me to a Christian college. Uh, I actually graduated Bob Jones University with a biology education degree. And I n didn't end up doing that. I ended up being a youth pastor. And, and that's kind of hard for people to understand. Well, these people that were leading you hurt you. Why did you choose that path? And I can say that I didn't choose it. Christ chose that for me in that process. At what time did you feel a call into ministry? I knew that there was something in my life all along. Uh, yeah. I knew that I had been called to share the message of the gospel, but I didn't know exactly how to do that. I thought, well, I'll do it, you know, through living that example as a teacher at all. I went through the process of, of my um, teaching career, you know, and, and did my teaching assessments and things like that, uh, blew it out of the water, made 100 plus, and, and so I thought, this is how I'm going to do that. I'm just going to share Christ with the way that I teach, but I work with students in a different way that became youth ministry. And, and so people that he put in my life, and in that process, I can tell you that I met uh, my wonderful wife, Amy, and she came along beside me, and then my 17-year-old, uh, Zach, came along. I will say in that process of working and, and doing ministry that things began to change because I was living more for the ministry than I was for the message, and for my first ministry should have been my home. Uh, but it wasn't, and I remember sitting in my office one Wednesday night, and my wife brought in my son, and uh, they were sitting there, and she had brought me something to eat, and, and we, she was trying to talk to me, and students were coming in and coming in, and I was paying more attention to the students than I was to my family, and at that point, things began to just change, and I knew that 
ministry was eating me alive, and I had I had to stop that. Wow. Did you have a rev- revelatory moment in that instance where the Lord opened your eyes to your priorities and kind of the toxicity of what you had prioritized in your life at that point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it began to change. Uh, things began, I began to see that people didn't want me as a minister to say no at any point in time. Do this. Do this. You got to do this. Call this many people. Make sure this happens. And I just realized that in that moment, that revelation moment, that my family was being left by the wayside. And it almost sounds like what you were raised in, that idea of tasks and order and must-dos kind of seemed to come back around in the form of ministry. Even if you were in a healthy church, even if you were pursuing Christ, all of these things can catch us up and we can realize that that's not the fulfillment of what God has called us to do. Absolutely. Everything that crashed down in my early teenage years came back to haunt me in my ministry uh, because I was living maybe not the legalistic of no shorts or no TV uh, or no movies, but I was living by task by in, in doing and making sure that things were accomplished because people, are, you know, they, they're looking at me for their direction. And, and so I can't let them down. So I've got to do everything and anything to make that happen. Joey, would you say that at this point that you were more concerned with fear of man versus fear of God? Uh, yes. Uh, I know I cared more about what the lead pastor thought and, and other staff. And was I going to be the one that let them down in that moment? And I was very much task oriented, making sure that it was completed, completed well. And if it wasn't well, who's going to be upset at me if it wasn't done? And by no means are we saying that you should not do things with excellence, but Absolutely. to what standard you're doing those excellent things for? Is it for reverence towards towards God himself, or is it for reverence of your own accolades, your own name, right. your own glory? All of that will lead to destruction. And in my life now, I have realized that I do things 110%, but the reason why I do it has totally changed. It's not for any individual. It's for Christ and Christ alone. And that is what fear of God means. It's not an actual trembling of, you know, being fearful of God, but it is reverence for who he is, his nature, his character, because of what he has done for us through his son on the cross. Absolutely. And that is what gives us eternal life. That's what gives us um, motivation and vision to see that all things that we do in this lifetime are for the glory of God himself because of who he is. Yes. And in that, uh, that anxiety and that struggle all came to a head, uh, in my life. I actually changed ministries and in that ministry, things surfaced in my life that I had been battling with because when I got to the place where I felt like I was out of control, I shut down and, and went into other directions, and that came out, Tatum, in the fact of being a sexual addiction. And that's hard for me to say, but I know that it needs to be said. And, and so I know that I went to the bottom during this, during this time in my life. I reached my uh, breaking point because that sexual addiction came to a head, and everything came to a point where I had to admit those things, not only to myself, but I had to admit those things to my wife. And I tell folks that Amy is my earthly example of Christ's heavenly forgiveness. 
and and I mean that from all my heart. And I remember the night that I told her, and I thought I didn't know if I'd wake up and have a family the next day um, because of the struggle that I was going through and the, and the things that I was facing. And I remember waking up that next morning, and Amy came to me, and she said, you know what? I forgive you, and here's some things that have happened in my life. And our communication was like, boom. You know, things opened up tremendously in that. And God began, and he placed people in my life, men in my life, Tom, Tony, Brian. I told somebody the other day, I had a friend of mine, Brian, who he knew something was going on, didn't know exactly. I had resigned my position of ministry from my second church. I was told that I would not be any of use to, to God anymore, so I was just going to exist. And so that sent me spiraling down into a state of depression, and I wouldn't talk to anybody except for my wife. I remember a Saturday morning, I get a knock at my door, and Amy looks at me and says, are you expecting anybody? And I'm like, no. And I go to the door, and it's my friend Brian who drives from Virginia four and a half hours to come and say, uh, what's going on? Something's going on with you, and let's go to breakfast. And so God put people like that in my life, people who would tell me in moments, Joey, yes, you need to shut up and let God work in your life. Recently in a sermon, um, my pastor was talking about the importance of having relationships that are sound in reference to hearing from God. So God speaks through people in our lives to really challenge us and see um, the reality of who he is. And that is so true of what you just said, that you had a friend who was willing to not be a yes man, somebody who's just going to tell you everything that you want to hear and make you feel fluffy and good. But God gives us gospel-centered relationships and friendships where they call us higher. They are sanctifying in the ways that they challenge us to be more than just um, our sinful nature that we possess. You know, we need people that are not just going to encourage us all the time, but are going to really challenge us and call us out when when we're in the pits of our sin. Yes, and they're going to hold us yeah, to, to accountable. And hold us accountable. Absolutely. Exactly. And so in that whole process, when I reached my bottom, those men began to help me on that process to healing and introduced me to the verse. I'd heard it all my life, but it just became real. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and what our podcast is all about, hope. And in that point of my life, I didn't know if I could have hope. I didn't know. I I was so beaten down at that point um, because of my own personal sins, because of what people had said and spoken into my life. But I will tell you something happened. So Amy and I were in the process of adoption from China. We were going to adopt. and But in that process, after doctors had told Amy that she would not likely get pregnant again, she did. And that was part of our healing. And for nine months, uh, God used a little girl named Caroline Grace to bring me out of a deep, dark hole in my life. And I watched that little girl as she was growing inside my wife, and and I felt the movements, and I was so excited. And, and uh, this is for somebody that has walked that road, or maybe even walking that road right now. I remember working at Lowe's and getting a phone call that it was time, and I was so excited. And I rushed home and and picked my wife up, and we went to the the doctor in the hospital, and we sat there, and we were kind of naive in that moment. And and uh, nurse after nurse after nurse came in, 
And I began to realize that was something was wrong, but my wife sat there and uh, she was like, what's going on? I just, I just don't know. You know. And then the doctor came in and he said, Mr. and Ms. Turner, I have to tell you something. He said, uh, your daughter has passed away. At that moment, I thought the, the part of me realizing how bad I was sinfully and what people had said to me was my darkest hour. But I think that became one of the hardest moments in my life. I had been told that I would never preach another sermon again, and I believed it. And two days later, after my, I held my daughter who had passed away in my arms, and I sent her away to go to the mortuary, I stood at her casket, um, and I preached a message. And I will have to say that that moment, God used that moment in my life to bring me out of a dark place. And he gave me hope. And people would say, well, how in the world? Hey, that doesn't change the fact that I'm not angry at times. And I have questioned God and asked him why. And and, and why would he do that? But then uh, he just says, because there's somebody else that needs to hear this story and to need and needs to hear that they need to step out of the mode of throwing stones and realize that people are hurting and people need a message of hope. And so that's why I find it as a great honor uh, to do what we do each and every week of sharing this message to other people. And so God taught me in that moment in, in J- from James chapter 4, verse 10, he said, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And that's where my healing began because in when I preached that message of my daughter's funeral, God humbled me in that moment. And that's where all the things of Celebrate Recovery came about. Uh, that's where Jeremiah twenty nine eleven became real. And so I had to realize that God had something special with me. And you know, all those people that spoke and have spoken are still speaking into my life stood there at that moment by my side. And, and they encouraged me. And in that moment, I remember walking up to my dad, and my dad said, I just want you to know that you, uh, I'm proud of you today. My dad said, I want you to know that you're my hero. And that meant more to me in this life uh, than, I, than I can ever express because God is the only one that could take me from zero to hero in my dad's eyes. And, and so I look at that as the opportunity to be able to share this story. How could I not? Because of what he has done in my life. You know, Second Corinthians 2.15 says, We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Yes, even to those that we want to throw rocks at. And I was the one that got a couple of rocks tossed at me. Uh, but I remember the people coming and standing around And at that point, they couldn't do what Christ did when he stepped down beside me, though, and said, hey, keep your head up because you have a love in you that I am putting in you, and you have a story to tell others, a story of hope. And you've said it that we really have no idea what is going on in people's lives, why they do what they do, why they have chosen the decisions that they have made. And you're just pointing to the reality of the fact that God truly can transform any person's life whether they are the worst of the worst, the scum of this earth to our humanistic standard. You know, we all plague people with a title, um, but you have 
you are an example of how God has taken a zero, like you said, and turned it into a beautiful story of redemption, right. a beautiful story of forgiveness, a beautiful story of healing and lamenting over the horrible things that happen, but seeing that there is a greater hope that can only be found in Christ. Right. And that doesn't mean that because I things have begun to change in my life that everything becomes uh, roses. And, and I'm, I'm Yeah. It just means that I have realized where my hope and my strength comes from. Yeah, you get to turn your eyes to something different than yourself. You don't get to look in the mirror right. and see your own strength, your own abilities, your own capabilities, but you look to the to the heavens, as cliche as that sounds, to actually see um, that there is greater purpose in all things. Yes, and even in that, my oldest son uh, was diagnosed with KLS, uh, which is um, uh, something that a lot of doctors don't know a whole lot about. One in a million people get it, so he was the he was the lucky one, I guess. Uh, and he has his own story. But in that, Satan came to me and was like, "Look, you've you, all this has happened in your life because of sinful things that you chose. Yeah, people have left your side." Your your daughter passed away, and now you have this going on. and But I can say that in this situation, God brought an illustration back to my mind. I remember as a youth pastor, I was on the back of a, uh, being pulled by a speedboat uh, and on a inner tube. And I remember going and going into a hairpin turn, hung on, and they thought they were going to throw me off. And I, I was like, hi, you didn't get me. There, there you go. And I remember the look on their face, well, it's going to happen now. And I remember they gunned it. And I <laughs> I remember going around the last turn, and I come off, and I don't know how many times I flipped, uh, but I went off and, and was going in positions that I didn't think my body could go in. And I remember coming to, <laughs> and I was underneath the water, and I was struggling, and I was fighting, and I was like, I think this is going to be the end. And all of a sudden, just something came to me and said, reach and hold on to your chest and I realized that I had a life jacket on and I came to the surface and I could breathe and I could and so in this moment of feeling like we have been tossed and, and thrown under for the very last time if we have Christ who is our hope we have to remember that he is our life jacket he's the one who rescues us and and I am one that would like to say to those that may be listening there's no saving of ourselves. I, I've i tried that. Our patterns of sin and, and addiction have controlled our lives. It's controlled my life. It may be controlling yours, but our desire to be loved by others has made us sometimes unlovely to the ones who matter the most. Uh, but sometimes the price of restoration and reconciliation is called swallowing our pride and and admitting that we're wrong. And in that process, when we step out of denial, as Celebrate Recovery says, and we begin to admit that we've got issues and we've got problems, we've got those hurts, habits, and hang-ups, then we begin the healing process. And that's exactly what happened in my life. I had a person challenge me to begin to share the testimony. And I'm like, there is no way. There is no way that I'm telling anybody of my problems and what I have faced and what I've gone through. And he kept challenging me. And he kept challenging me. And it went from one person to a Sunday school class that was supposed to be the <laughs> it's supposed to be the smallest number of people on that day. And I'm looking at 60 or 70 people. It felt like sitting out there in front of me as I shared my testimony. And that turned into sharing with an entire church uh, and several services. And now it's become where I share 
constantly at Celebrate Recovery because there are people that need to hear the story that there is hope and there is a message of Christ who loves us. Wow, Joey. I am just blown away by your vulnerability to share these things. I know that it is not easy. Like you mentioned, it's not fun necessarily to discuss and disclose these things. Um, But I'm so thankful that you have taken the time to think through all of these things and share these things and process these things. I'm so thankful that God has healed you in so many areas. And I really do believe that every time we share our story, the Lord continually heals the parts of our lives that are just really, really tragic, that are really hard to share. Absolutely. You know, my son Isaac played a song for me in the truck not too long ago, and he said, Dad, you have to listen to it. And I was like, sure. I was like, what's this going to be like? Um, But this is the words of the song. It said, oh, lift up your head. Morning is coming. There's more to the story. Don't forget in grief and glory, still great is his faithfulness. He is present, helper, keeper. He is perfect, sovereign, fortress. He is Abba, Father, comfort. He is redeemer, restorer, sustainer. Great is his faithfulness. And that's the only reason, Tatum, that I'm here today. Yep, yep, absolutely. Well, Joey, Thank you so much for joining us on Stories of Hope and sharing your story as a co-host. It was such a joy to be able to talk through this with you and be able to hear your story as you've been sharing all these things. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for being willing to do this. It's an honor to be here, and I look forward to the days ahead. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for listening to Stories of Hope today. We will see you next time. And remember, one person can't do everything, but every person can do something. Thanks for joining us today for Stories of Hope. For more information about the Dream Center, visit our website at dreamcenterpc.org. Additional resources related to today's episode can be found in our podcast show notes.